Welcome to the Listen to Your Horse podcast. More freedom, more joy, more horse. So my name is Megan Brinks, and um, I we wanted to talk today about meditation and meditating with horses and around horses um, for an upcoming article in Chrome Magazine, which is the American Paint Horse Association's member magazine, um, which is very equestrian lifestyle. Um, goes out to about 50,000 readers across the country, really around the world, and um, really just hoping to uh, get them some information about how they can better connect with their horses um, and improve their their riding performance, that relationship um, through meditation with their horses. And so um, thank you so much for (laughs) agreeing to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Anything we can do to help the horse is, uh, is awesome. Absolutely. There's already so much, um, there's so much research and so much buy-in that, you know, that meditating is good and you know, all of those benefits for your brain. And obviously we're already speaking to an audience that are sold on the horses. They're already horse people. Um, but could you speak to why people might consider meditating with their horses or around their horses or why, while they're at the barn or in situations like that? Well, I think it goes back to the concept that, again, if you've been around horses for any length of time, you understand that horses will take their cues um, in terms of anxiety or tension from their human, Um, especially if the human's in control, right? So if you can learn how to become fluid with not even just a meditative state, but even just to go to your breath. Even if you can somehow build a default button in yourself, that when things start to ratchet up, your breath deepens. Mm -hmm. That will change everything because your horse will cue to your breath. And so when you go, right? Like you cannot even hear, and babies do the same thing. If you move to your breath with a baby, the baby just kind of goes, right? It's, it's one of those things that just takes over. Breath is this incredibly powerful thing that, because it's so subconscious, we don't really think about it or notice it. But if you are around someone who then just starts breathing deeply, breathing rhythmically, and of course, just by driving your breath into your belly and also into your back, this is another thing that, you know, from doing yoga, you work with the back breath. And so when you drive it in there and you push the ribs out at the back as well, um, now all your body cues if whether you're on the ground or seated on the horse, your body cues have all changed because you've created more space and you've probably not just improved your thoracic alignment, but you've probably improved your pelvis as well. Mm. Breath is like stretching the elastic band and then everything goes back looser. So even just before we even hit meditating, right before we even hit meditative state, if we can bring more, not just conscious breath work, but, work with our breath enough that it becomes unconscious that we just immediately deepen our breath. Um, That I think can change everything. And you'll see, you'll see a shift very quickly with your horses when you start just taking deep breaths around them. Mm-hmm. Could you dive in a little bit more to what kinds of changes you might see with your horse when you start taking those deep breaths and being just a little bit more 
aware? Do you see just, I, I would guess that you would see kind of that relaxation, maybe a little bit of head dropping, chewing, things like that. Um, That's exactly. Like, you know, if we're talking to people who meditation isn't necessarily in their rapport, what, what kinds of things might they look for of cues that they're on the right track? Um, you can look for the horse taking a breath. You can look for, again, that lowering, the dropping of the head, the dropping of the pole. Um, you might possibly see or feel the horse elongating a bit. Um, you will probably, if you're sensitive at all to energy, you will feel the horse's energy just drop. Mm. And again, depending on how, how much you've dropped into your body is going to cue how much they're going to drop into their body and they're going to drop the energy, right? Because when a horse malfunctions or blows up or get, the horse is like, boom, right? Well, they're not, mm, this is the body's up. They're not in the body. The body's squeezed. The body's tight. So we do that and the horse follows the cue. All of a sudden the horse is taken out of anxiety brain and it's put back into its own muscles and viscera and body. So again, let's talk about that. Let's say your horse has a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So maybe the way your horse is bracing against pain is by doing this, right? Mm -hmm. So for you, if you don't get a positive result, when you bring your horse more fully back into his body, that's maybe then a cue for you to go, oh, hang on. Maybe this is not behavioral. Maybe mm -hmm. this is pain because my horse is so braced against the pain. And when I ask my, when I invite through my breath, and through the dropping of my own energy, when I invite my horse into that space, my horse is like, ow, 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 ow. That hurts like way more than it did when I was like this and holding everything tight, right? So I guess that would be another benefit is that it's an opportunity for us to gain more information about what is hampering our horse and, mm -hmm. and what our horse perhaps needs or a new direction that we need to look at or we need, or maybe the saddle fit is wrong. Right. So the saddle fit is causing pain or there's some pinching or there's, you know, there's so many things that um, can be affecting a horse that the horse has no way of communicating to us. So they just brace mm -hmm. and they just try to hold it together and they try to hold it because that's horses are stoics. Right. They don't they're not they're not evolutionarily designed to show pain because the predator takes the weakest one. Mm -hmm. So we always have to keep that in mind when working with our horses that they are hardwired to armor up and be stoic. Mm -hmm. So when we soften with our breath and we invite the horse into a softer place, we also have to be prepared for the other kinds of information that's maybe going to come forward. But again, it's a win-win in the long term because mm -hmm. if your horse is having pain or a bad saddle or something, that's going to, if they keep bracing and they keep armoring, until they no longer can, they're going to be so far gone into that injury, you may not be able to get them back or they may take years to come back. So the sooner we can get these things and get them an equine chiropractor, get them massage therapy, give them a break, move to groundwork, get off their back for a while, learn how to do yoga with your horse, learn how to do the stretching exercises that help your horse. Like there's so much therapeutic conditioning that we can do to help our horse recover. But again, what's the gateway into that? What gives us that knowledge? You know, often it's, it's becoming fully present. And when you also move into your own breath and you drop your breath and you drop your energy, you can feel your horse better. Mm -hmm. So when you're tight like this, you're not feeling very much, but if you're loose 
and now you're feeling and you're feeling rhythms and you're feeling movements. And then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, there's a little hitch there every time, right? And all of a sudden you have new information and you can go and investigate that. So in that way alone, it leads to um, a tighter linking between your horse's body and your body and what you can feel and sense because all of that comes out of looseness, mm-hmm. not absolutely. tension. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing to me how many things that we do seem seems like we miss because we're so focused on that goal or that show or getting to that particular clinic or riding with that particular person. And that, and then we sometimes forget some of those basic things of a behavioral thing. Maybe this really is a physical thing. Um, Maybe this is a mental thing. Maybe it's just, just not liking the job or whatever that is. Yeah. Take that step back and tuning in, I suppose. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a different way of, of coming into relationship with your horse of, more about the dialogue and the unity versus the I'm the boss, I'm in control, you got to do what I say, mm-hmm. right? And that's, you know, what some people want, but a lot of people don't want that. You know, that's why my my website is called listentoyourhorse.com because we find there's such tremendous value when you move into that place of unity where you are actively openly listening to your horse and you really want to receive their truth. You want to receive their experiences. You want to welcome their ideas um, because horses often have much better ideas than we do. They're just waiting for us to, to tune in and listen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so what, what tips would you give to people to, who want to start incorporating um, some, some meditation? As I know there's just so many good resources out there for, you know, be, be it meditation for beginners, five-minute meditations, things like that. But if, for tips for people who want to incorporate that meditation or that mindfulness time into their barn routine, what, how, what would you suggest for them to how to start, what, what, how to sort of break this sort of uncomfortable barrier sometimes of trying something new. <laughs> okay, so here's some really easy, easy ways. So if you have a horse that has an area they can graze, or mm-hmm. if you can hand walk your horse out to an area where they can graze, um, you want to keep the lead rope super looped, really loose, and then you want to move back and put your hand, usually a nice place is, is just at the withers, But when you do that, you might feel, no, I want to put my hand in the middle of my horse's back. Or you might want to put your hand on the rump. So again, you just start taking your deep breaths and you feel, where does my body want to touch my horse's body? So we're now entering the listening process. And you just put your hand wherever it feels good. And then you just work on taking those deep breaths as your horse grazes. And this is really a great way to start because... We know from the HeartMath Institute that all of our hearts are electrical, right? They have electromagnetic fields. Well, the horse's heart field is so large that our heart automatically entrains to their heart because their heart is bigger. It's more dominant. Mm -hmm. So as your horse is grazing and chewing, so you've got the soothing noise. We all know how much we love to listen to a horse chew. (laughs) You've got the soothing noise. You've got their heart rate now making yours sink and drop into their space of peace because if your horse is grazing and its head lowered, its top line is stretched, it's in a peaceful state. So your body's going to sink there. And your only job is to breathe into your belly. 
those of us who've done a lot of yoga and meditating forget that there are people who do not know and have never breathed into their belly. And this was brought to my attention because my daughter's two friends were over and they were like, how do you breathe into your belly? And I was like, what? You you know, for me, that's like someone saying, how do I breathe through my, through my mouth? So, um, what I did with them is I put one hand on the belly here and I put the other hand on the back and you can put the back, your back of your hand on your back. And so you're, and now push slightly and your goal you want to you want to push those hands out when you breathe in and in the beginning you may find okay i'm using my muscles to push it out but you'll eventually cuz a lot of people are breathing up here right mm-hmm. and you want to bring the breath down here so you may as your one hand is on your horse you have your one hand on the belly and your only goal is to breathe into that belly mm-hmm. and just you know, if you can do four counts in and four counts out, like you want that, just you want your breathing to be like the ocean. It's just rhythmical, right? You might like six counts in, six counts out. It doesn't matter. You might have a challenge just getting your breath to go down here. It doesn't matter where you start. Um, start wherever you're at, but you're linked to your horse's body, both physically and through the heart field. So this is a way that you can create an amazing space of connection very simply very quickly you don't need props you don't need silence you don't need you know any an arena you don't need any of those things you just need some grass Mm -hmm. um, a place where they can eat so that's a really great way Um, and then phase two of that technique so once you can do that is and you've got your breath going is now feel And you might want to leave your eyes open or closed or just kind of like soft focus. It doesn't really matter which way you choose. But what you're looking to feel is that your body start moving in sync. So you'll get to the place where you can actually feel your horse before they take a step. Mm -hmm. And so you may need to take two steps to every one of theirs. That doesn't matter. But your bodies are moving at the same time. And your bodies are moving in sync with each other and at at a certain point when you when you're able to do that link up you'll hit what i call still point and this very much feels like when you're when you're in like a a deep meditation and you enter the silence you'll get that with your horse and it might just be for a couple of seconds but it's awesome even if it only lasts for a couple of seconds where you are 100 the two bodies are like one unit the breath is synced the movement is synced and so that's, that would be phase two. But phase one is just, is just getting the breath. Mm-hmm. And then here's another one. Again, super simple, but very powerful. If you have some kind of a hay net or a slow feeder, or even just the hay in the bucket, put a chair or a stool or something where you can sit right next to where your horse is eating. Mm-hmm. And again, just put your hands on your belly. And your only job is to sit there and breathe into your belly. Mm-hmm. And again, you've got the heart resonance going. You've got the chewing of the horse. Horses, I call them, I, I actually say that um, people should teach meditation with a herd of horses. Mm. Because horses spend like, what, 40% of their day meditating. They are masters. And they will facilitate you to be able to drop into that state 
quicker and faster than any group of humans can ever get you there. So all you have to do is sit next to your horse while it's eating, put your hand on your belly and start breathing into your belly. And just like I said, either just breathe for a while and then start counting four breaths in, then you might want to pause for two breaths, four breaths out. Or you might want to breathe in a loop, four breaths in, four breaths out, four breaths in, four breaths out. And so your breath and you'll start to feel it like a circle because it's very smooth. And those are two things that you can do. Even in the busiest barn, it doesn't matter. Just mm -hmm. sit on a chair next to your horse. I'm going to give you number three. Number three, I, I love. It's really fun. And Carolyn Resnick actually created an entire course out of this technique. She called it the chair challenge. Okay. <laughs> it's the simplest thing in the world. Like you, you just need to have a horse or a group of horses where, you know, nobody's going to be, you know, dangerous for you. So you need to know your horse well enough that the horse isn't going to come over and like bite your head off or something. Um, but you just basically put it down in the middle and make sure there's enough flow through. So your horse or whatever horse is there can, can get around you without you causing a bottleneck or a traffic problem. Mm -hmm. And you just sit in the chair. And you just breathe and the horses will come up and they'll, I just shot a live stream video today doing that exact same thing. I have a herd of 11 and I just stuck my chair in the middle and I turned on the, the YouTube live stream and I just let people see what that's like and how the horses come up and the babies are like really interested in my feet. Cause then I realized, Oh, I'm always standing on my feet. My feet are never up here where they can reach them and really explore them. And so again, so there's, even though the horses can be quite busy or they may gather around you and often mine will just hang their head over top of me or my shoulder and they will drop into meditative state. Mm. And we'll just breathe together. Because mm -hmm. really all meditation is, let's break it down to its simplest. It's just allowing your body to be still and breathing. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't, there's lots of techniques for how, what we can do with our mind. But when we're with horses, we even don't even need those techniques because again, the heart resonance of the horse combined with their energy field combined with either their breathing. Like if you've got a horse right here or here, their breath alone is going to put you in meditative state because <laughs> they're just so deep and they have huge lungs and you'll just find yourself kind of lulled. Like maybe when you were a baby and you were on your mama's chest and you could feel her breathing and it kind of takes us viscerally at a body memory level back to those days. Um, so yeah, so the third method would be to just sit on a chair and again, put your hand on your belly, send your breath down there. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I think it's almost hard though to, like when I think about that, I'm imagining myself trying to sit in a chair in the field and it's hard for me and I'm a very, a, a go, go, go kind of person, yes. but it's hard for me to even think about that. Of, like I, I can already tell the challenge for me would be to not say, Oh well, if I'm going to be out here, well, I might as well grab a brush and force. Or well, I, I'm going to be out here, I might as well get the wheelbarrow and pick up poop or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> that exactly. is a chair challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge. Sit your butt in the chair and 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 don't brush the horses because they'll come over. My my mare, she's a Belgian. She could almost go on top of me and stuck her udder in my face to go there. I'll make it really easy for you. Just scratch. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here. Mm -hmm. I'm just sharing space. And then you know the and so then they start 
itching on the chair and they start, which is all fine. It's all expression. It's all closeness, but your job is your breath into your belly. And that's, and I don't bring my gloves. I don't bring a grooming tool with me. I just, so exactly. And it maybe you're someone you have to actually sit on your hands, like mm -hmm. whatever you have to do. It's, you know, that's your challenge. Absolutely. To just breathe. What kind of benefits could people maybe see in their horses if they're, if they're doing this? Cause we, we talked about some of the benefits maybe for the human in this situation, um, which I, obviously that definitely goes back and forth, but, but do you see any behavioral changes with horses if their owner starts practicing those kind of meditation or mindfulness, you know, just being present, just being with them, um, any attitude or, you know, those kinds of things changes. Oh, definitely. It's, um, it's like if you had a friend and you were always talking and never listening mm. and then all of a sudden you just listened, mm. like that would change everything right? It would change the entire relationship. It would change their energy field. It would change again, the tension in their own body. It, um, it just basically says to the horse, I'm willing to stop. <laughs> Humans were like monkeys. We're like chimps, right? We're like, rah, 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 right. And this is a way of saying to the horse, I'm willing to enter your space. Mm -hmm. This breathing and meditative space, again, is where a horse spends 40% of their day at least. So they're already used to this state. Um, now, if they're, I have been in some stables, hunter-jumper barns, where the stables are really busy all day long. And there's music all day long. And there's, um, you know, people opening, like, it's just, it's just super, super busy. So for a horse like that, the only time they're going to come into a peaceful place is at night when all the humans leave. Mm -hmm. So in this way, you're also saying, hey, let's bring some of that peace into, you know, the daytime and let's give your horse's body the opportunity to find that space in the midst of the mayhem, in the midst of the chaos. And your horse will be like, what? Right. But if you have a horse that's high strung or you have a horse that's, you know, um, really distressed at being kept in a small stall or whatever, that's a way that you can give them a little bit of ease, a little bit of um, a window of relaxation in an otherwise stressful time. And I could definitely imagine that for a lot of our readers that are on the road showing, traveling, doing things like going to like the APHA World Show, it's 24 hours a day, there's always somebody back in those barns. Right. And I imagine that if you, if you were kind of doing this at home and your horse um, were, was used to finding these little pockets of quiet with you, that then when you go into a more stressful situation, that you could recreate those pockets. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that out. That is 100% accurate. And, you know, let's say in a trailer. Mm -hmm. Right, you have a horses that have a lot of anxiety. Well, if you, like you said, if you are practiced and your bodies are practiced at sinking in this state, mm -hmm. uh, you can go in the trailer and you start your breath work, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, you're create, you're changing what that trailer means to the horse. Mm -hmm. You're creating a different space and a different reality. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the horse comes in and you you stay there in that space. And, or like you said, you're at a busy show and maybe there's lights on all the time and it's really hard for the horse to find a place to relax because it's, everything's like this, but you've built that 
practice between you and then you can come and you can just kind of close with your energies. You can close everything off and you can create kind of a little pocket of, of peace and, and, and exhale. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you're going to have a better show. You're going to have a better time together. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think for so many of us, that that's why we do the horses is because of that relationship piece, but it's almost, um, as you know, as an adult amateur, and I sometimes find this with some of my friends too, that we almost forget that it's the relationship because, because like I said before, we're so focused on, well, what's the next goal or what's the next achievement? Or did we, did we jump this high or did we take a step backwards? And, and those things that, that we sort of forget sometimes that we got into this for the relationship. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Horses. You have to sort of regress to when you were 11 years old and you just wanted to spend time with the horse all the time. So. Yeah, exactly. And and you oftentimes when you do that, you realize that, oh, like you said, this is the whole reason I got into this. This was what I wanted and I've lost it, but I can have it back, mm-hmm. you know, and I can have that sense of, of wonder and that sense of oneness and, and just take the relationship to a richer, deeper level um, in your adult self. Mm-hmm by returning to returning to a state that came so easily to us as children you know because as children we spend a lot of time in play we spend a lot of time in our imagination daydreaming which is meditative state Mm -hmm. so as children we're much well i don't know now with the digital age (laughs) but when we were kids that was a natural state now i think a natural state is on a screen so i don't know what this generation is going to do but Mm -hmm. um for those of us, for sure, we can get back there. And, and it's, like you said, it's so much more enjoyable. And we remember, oh, right, this, this was the gold. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just taking a quick peek at my, at my questions here. I feel like we answered all of the big things that I, that I really wanted to cover. But I would love to know more about um, what kinds of, I guess, I guess, tell me more about your kind of client work? Do you work a lot with, with one-on-one clients? Do you work in group settings? Um, t- tell me more about, about, I guess you maybe even a little bit about your background. I was looking through your website and it was just, it's just so rich of information. Um, and so how did you kind of end up on this, on this path here where you are? Well, I'll start by saying I don't work with any clients. Okay. Um, everything that I do with horses is, I call it bearing witness. So I just share stories. And so I'm not wanting to be a trainer or a do this because this is the best way, or I'm just going, this is what I'm doing with my horses. This is what the horses have shown me. This is what the horses are teaching me now. This is what I'm thinking now. But you know, what I found with the horses is, you know, the horses will move you to different levels of, of amazingness. So I don't ever, I don't know if I'll ever say this is the way it is because I know that some, one of my horses is going to come along and go, actually, that was level one. And now we are ready to go level two. (laughs) So what I, I call what I do is just bearing witnesses, just telling their stories. And so I try to do that as, you know, obviously through my filter and with my language and all the rest of it. And so the stories that may be on the blog of people coming are just friends or, you know, like one of the horses 
had the horses kind of take over. They have their own idea. If someone comes onto the property who maybe needs something and the horses know that and they'll be like, okay, we're just going to work with him. Can you translate for us? And so that's how those types of things come come to be. So for my background, um, I started riding when I was two. I lived in Nairobi and I got to go to the stable every week and I would just sit on the pony and I would be like, my mom said, you'd have to be like vomiting to miss that pony ride. I just, from, you know, infancy, I just knew that I needed to be near horses. And then, um, by the time that we left Kenya and by the time I was eight, I was living in Alberta, Canada, and we were on an acreage. And that's when I got my first horse of my own, um, a Morgan Arab cross. And I was, so I was eight. My parents knew nothing about horses and had no interest. I did not have neighbors who had horses nearby. Like there was some part. So I was basically here. I am. I'm eight years old. Not only do I have my first horse, but I ha- she's pregnant. Oh and my God. I have one book from England called your first horse. <laughs> so I'm reading it. What do I feed her? What do I do? <laughs> like I had no lessons except for like being led around a pony when I was two and three and four, when I left Kenya. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't know how to put on a bridle. I'd like hold the bit up to her mouth and go, can you open your teeth? And then I'd maybe like do this. And, and then she put it in and then I grabbed the head stall from down here and I pull it up <laughs> or like everything was just, and then I had a saddle, but I didn't, I couldn't lift it because I was eight and she was 15 hands. Mm-hmm. So I just rode bareback. Mm-hmm. And so everything I learned, she taught me. Mm-hmm. And again, because I was still a kid, I wasn't like, like I had no trouble hearing her and talking to her and having conversations with her. Like as kids, we do, you tell a kid that an animal can't talk or can't communicate and they'll be like, are you crazy? Right? Like we can all understand our animals when we're children. Um, so that just continued. And then I would end up getting like one time I woke up and there was another pony in my field. And I'm like, there's a horse in my field. My dad's like, Oh yeah, John owed me a poker debt and he couldn't play. So we pay. So we dropped the horse off and I'm like, Okay. So then that would happen and I would get, you know, other animals that nobody could do anything with. And like there was a horse he was going to go to slaughter because you couldn't even get a saddle on him, let alone ride him. So my dad's like, so we thought maybe you'd want to have a crack at him. And I'd be like, okay, you know, because you're a kid and no one's told you that you have to do it this way. And nobody's told you so everything was out of my relationship with the horses and what the horses showed me. And so I did, and I just worked with them purely from intuition and purely from what the horses showed me to do and not do. Um, it was just this really equitable relationship. Although most of the time the horse was in charge. Cause I would, I would be like, Oh, I didn't know that, you know? So it was very, it was, and then as an adult, so I had those, I had my horses in Alberta until I went to university mm-hmm. and then I was leaving when it was dark and I was coming home when it was dark. And, um, my, that childhood horse of mine, she said, I want you to find me another home because you're not here. And it's not enough for me. Like she was a very relationship focused horse. So I said to her, fine. I said, I'll place an ad. And if the right person comes, but if not, then, then forget it. And so of course I place the ad. The first person that comes has an eight year old girl and I can see the connection between them. And I'm like, oh, this is her thing. She takes the young girls 
and she brings them up and that's the relationship she wants. So I sold her, but these people lived you know, not too far away. So we kept tabs on her. I never went to see her. I couldn't, I couldn't face that. Um, but my mom would phone up every once in a while and find out how she was doing. And my mom kept in touch. And so she brought that little girl up to university and then went to the little girl who lived next door. And then she died when she was 40. She lived a very, yeah, she lived a very long life, mm -hmm. um, deep in relationship with little girls. And that was her, that was her thing. So she was my teacher. And she was also very much a spiritual guide for me. Um, there was some physical abuse in my home and she got me through really difficult times because I got on her back and I would feel everything drop off. It was like there were chains and I'd get on her back and they would just drop away and we would fly. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the basis of what I come to horses with. And then I traveled the world. I lived in Japan. I lived in England and Singapore. And I lived in a whole bunch of places as I worked. And then when my kids were finally old enough, I was like, now I'm going back into horses. <laughs> and that's when I got back into having my own horses again. But before that, I had worked, you know, with other people's horses. And I'd done English lessons in Western and natural horsemanship. So I kind of learned what other adults were saying and doing with horses. And I was astounded at the difference between what my horse had showed me and what human horse experts were showing me. And so what I try to do with, with my website, with listentoyourhorse.com and the videos that I put out, um, is just to show more of, I guess, getting back to that place where the horses were teaching me all the time. Mm -hmm. because I, I do find them so much wiser. Like, and just even from the structure of a herd, a herd is like a microbiota. It's like this mixture of, of living organisms that are completely independent and work completely linked, but yet are very powerful. And, and we don't have a structure like that in our human lives. We're so me focused, right? And if there's, there's maybe some codependency, but there's not this like living functioning microbiome aspect to how we move. And if there was, the, the planet wouldn't be in such a state. Mm -hmm. So I find a tremendous wisdom in how the horses show me that, you know, I may have ideas about this, but their ideas are always better because they have this spider web network and they understand that if you push here, everything here moves. Mm -hmm. So Jeannie, how about instead of doing this, we do this. And then that takes care of everybody. And I'm like, oh, brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of learning that comes from me, you know, basically understanding that they are the masters and I'm the student. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's amazing to me how much when I learned to ride at a, a very, very casual riding experience. And, and one of the things though, that I learned so much from that was, was those herd dynamics and just how much you can learn just by being out in the pasture and just watching. Mm -hmm. And something that, that now as an adult, and I know how so many of um, my peers, how, how, and even how I keep horses now because of where I live and just what's available, um, we don't really get that same herd dynamic. You know, horses are, are let out in ones or twos, maybe, um, but it's, it's, it really gets interesting to me how, um, how much of that wisdom kind of gets lost when we're not seeing those interactions every day. And it's, it's a very different dynamic that what we're setting our horses up for so many, so much around the country. 
It's, it's very true. And the other thing that I didn't realize, because like, like everybody else, I just bought a horse and then somebody else gave me a horse and stuff. And so I had no idea that the difference between a family herd, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and again, like my first horse that I purchased as an adult was a domestic horse who'd been born and raised in a domestic situation. Well, my next four horses were all have the same father and they were semi-feral. So they were owned by a human, but the human didn't touch them or they were, none of them were halter broke. Two of them were stallions. Like they were just kind of like herded onto a trailer and then herded off. So they were this huge opening of, oh my gosh, we have no idea what we do to horses when we take them out of their families and then just stick them with random herd members. Sure. Yeah, like it was just something else. Like, how could this never have occurred to me? How could it never have occurred to me how crucially important this is and how it changes everything? Mm-hmm. And then my second herd was a group of five wild Mustangs. Mm-hmm. Again, a family herd who were called and there was three of them and they, the two mares were pregnant. So two mares and a stallion, and they stuck together through the auction and then they were rescued and they were moved to another rescue and, and they would not allow themselves to be separated. They, re- they understood when the trailer was coming and they got on together. <laughs> and, and then again, I'm still an idiot. I think, oh, I'm just going to go and get one of them. So I go there to get one of them and she, cl- pregnant, like nine months pregnant, climbs over an arena panel and blows through a four foot wooden board fence to say, no, I will not be separated from my herd. Mm-hmm. And so we went, okay. And that was when I went, I have to, t- what am I doing? I'm such a moron. I, I already learned this lesson with my first four. Like, why am I thinking I can separate? But we're so hardwired mm-hmm. to ignore. And, and in our culture, like, unless we're really ethnic, family is not that doesn't hold that same importance even in our human families. Mm-hmm. So we're just so not, not wired to think that way. And they are so wired about family, like mm-hmm. family for them is everything. Mm-hmm. And so then I ended up taking all three of them and then the two birthed their babies. And then I have an entire series on my YouTube channel. Each video is like an hour, an hour and a half long of how we integrated the two family herds. Because again, how do you take a complete, like semi-feral and completely wild mm-hmm. and very tight former stallions in both herds mm-hmm. and put them together into one herd? And I, in the beginning, I didn't think I would, mm-hmm. but the horses were like, yes, we need to merge. We need mm-hmm. to become one herd. And I'm like, well, you, and the videos show how the horses tell me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely fascinating because again, not anything that you think of doing, not any procedure that you come up with, because as a human, we don't have these herd microbiota structures in our, in our existence. Um, so just, you know, for me as an adult, again, learning about the deeper, I guess the things of equine ethology have been just endlessly fascinating. Um, and then within that, of course, I've got my relationships with each of them and, you know, things that I do with each of them. And yeah, it's, it's party, nonstop party. <laughs> I can only imagine that is quite a, <laughs> quite a team there. <laughs> <Quite> a circus. 
I know. And I'm like, what am I doing? And the number of times I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, what am I doing? I must be insane. And my daughter's like, yeah, you're crazy, but you're the good kind of crazy. So, okay. <laughs> if your daughter's saying that, you're fine. <laughs> That's what I figured. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, if there was, you know, I, I feel like we, we've just, we've touched on so many things and I feel like there's just, there's just so many things that, um, that, that I wish that, that I wish that horse people knew about or would, or would pay more attention to or things like that. But if there's, is there, is there something that you wish horse people would spend more time on or would know? Is there, I guess, what would be, I don't want to say like, oh, if there was one message you could say to all horse people, cause that's not quite what I mean, but like, like. What do you think is a core thing people are missing in their relationships with their horses? Hmm. The top thing. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think it would just, I guess, be a sense of awareness mm -hmm. that um, horses are fully sentient. Mm -hmm. And because they spend so much time meditating, they're very spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so they're connected to the earth at all times with four feet on the ground. They're connected to the rhythms of nature. They have that earth-based wisdom um, and whatever your concept of the divine is, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They have that connection too. And so if we could just recognize that, and if we could just create a space for that to maybe not even live, but even just be acknowledged mm. so that we take them out of the arena of, oh, he's writing this and he's doing this. Like the, the horse was like, I don't know, uh, an automaton or a half being half machine type of creature. And, and to realize that the horse is fully sentient mm. and is more connected to the earth and nature and the rhythms and the divine than we are. And how about we start listening at that level, wherever we're at. And, and, and our horses, I believe our horses come to us. There's a, there's a resonance between where we're at and where they're at and where we're at and what they have to give and teach and where they're at and what we have to give and teach and share. Because I don't think the healing goes one way. I think it's, it's, again, it's an interdependent relationship. My healing is your healing is my healing is your healing in this never ending circle. Mm -hmm. And so the horses that are attracted to us or that we're attracted to, there's a resonance for that healing circle for both of us. Mm -hmm. And if we can just kind of open our awareness to that and just kind of approach things a little more from that space, um, we will get so much more meaning and satisfaction from our relationship and our activities with our horses. That's beautiful. That's, mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, I really feel like that is, I mean, thank you so much for, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add? I know that, I know that we could just, there's just so much more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. No, I think, I think this is probably, we've probably overloaded people's brains as it is. <laughs> and you asked really good questions. So thank you for coming to the table with so much thoughtfulness. That's absolutely, that's awesome. I think we all, we all want the same thing. 
with the horse, right? Mm-hmm. We, we're all here because at some part of us or at some stage, we were drawn to the magic mm-hmm. of the horse because mm-hmm. they really are magical. Mm-hmm. And, and just if we've lost that, let's, let's start with the breath. Let's start, start there, get back into that space where that magic can start to flow again between us. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Oh my gosh. This has just been, this has just been the perfect ending to my work day. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the Listen to Your Horse podcast. Lots more videos, stories, and podcasts at listentoyourhorse.com.